Hello, everybody. Welcome to my very first mini-sode um, of my podcast, In the Aisle. I am your host, Christina. Um, it's so great for you all to be joining here and listening to this. Whether this is the first time you are hearing um, about this podcast and want to check it out, or you're here for my first episode, um, welcome, everybody. Since I do have a little bit of extra time in wiggle room with these mini-sodes, which is something that I think I'm really going to love in the future, and I'm sure you guys will too, um, is I figured I would just go into a little bit more detail for, for those of you who have never heard of me or met me before and haven't checked out the trailer, which if you haven't done that, I highly recommend it because it goes over, uh, it's like a brief overview of what I plan on doing with this podcast and the direction I plan on taking the show in. So, <laughs> so awkward to have to talk about myself. Uh, I feel like I've just been doing that into a microphone for the past two weeks or so, but little things that you should know about me. I have a degree in politics and communication. I graduated college uh, this last May, and I have spent over six years or so like invested in politics, whether that be taking internships with a senator or meeting candidates on campaigns or working for a political nonprofit. I've really kind of tried it all um, and have actually really been exposed to a lot. And it's given me a really unique perspective on what is going on down in DC, because I have really just seen it from both Democrats and Republicans' point of view, from somebody who, from points of view for people who have been in government and politics for their entire lives, and also people who are just starting out a little bit older than me. So I have this wide variety of um, experience that I thought would be really cool to put into a podcast and to talk about things. And I also think it's worth noting that I'm somebody who's doing this out of pure passion. <laughs> I'm not expecting to be viral or famous or any of that. I just kind of am using this as an outlet um, to to not only to verbally process what I've been seeing in the news and what's been going on, but um, to also be able to use my degrees <laughs> that um, I'm paying hefty loans on. So definitely want to be sure that I'm at least using the degrees and making making the loan part of that for me make sense, which some of you might be in that boat right now or about to be in that boat. Um, but yeah, I just thought a little bit more overview. Again, check out my trailer if you would like to know more and learn more about me and the premise of the show. This mini-sode, of course, is going to work differently than what my regular podcast episodes are going to look like. Now, what you're going to um, expect hearing from me in these is just really going into deeper details of stuff I went over in my first episode or in the future, the episodes that I make, and some new things that um, I didn't touch upon, mainly because I've learned through doing this, there is so much to talk about, and there's so much that I want to talk about specifically. And like I said, my goal originally was to make this as clear and concise as I possibly can, so I figured for, for everyone's sake, I would be splitting these up into um, the main episode and the mini-sode. This mini-sode in particular is going to really be diving into more of the executive orders that President Biden has already put in place. Because even from when I, I finished filming the first episode to now, 
there is so much more to work with and so much more to talk about. And also kind of be talking about why that, why should we even care about these, right? Like what, what does this have to do with us? And kind of highlighting the things that you need to know so that you can understand why it impacts you. And the second thing that I'm going to be talking about that I didn't even have time for in the first episode is Congress. Now, Congress and I have a very special relationship. In case you're wondering, the C in Congress actually stands for Christina because that's how much I focus on Congress and will hopefully be able to focus on Congress in the future. And um, I chose not to put in the first episode because of everything we have going on, but I want to start introducing it with each episode as much as I can, just because Congress controls so much of our lives, right? They're the ones who really create the legislation, um, either in the House and the Senate. So I think it's worth kind of dissecting it a little bit each week um, because it is such a complex governing body and not a lot of people know um, exactly what it does or how it operates. Other than that, I'm just going to jump right into it with some of those executive orders I was talking about earlier. First and foremost, let's talk about DACA. So again, DACA is the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. And for those of you who don't know, this is an immigration policy that was adopted under President Obama. And um, it basically states that if some unlawful immigrants who were brought into this country as children um, would like to stay here, they are eligible for deferred action on being deported. And basically what this means is that um, they can get working permits so that they can stay here legally. And this is usually done over two-year periods. So they'll get qualified for one two-year period. And then they um, can reapply again after two years. And this isn't just for children. Like this is for people who are now over the age of 18, but were brought over here um, when they were kids. And of course, as we know, um, this excludes people who were brought, uh, who their parents might be illegal immigrants, um, but were born in this country. Like if uh, their mom gave birth on American soil, that automatically makes them American citizens. So it is important to note that this does not provide a path to citizenship. If you're wondering, um, why you might be thinking of the dream act, which is something entirely different and not what I'm going to be talking about today. So um, what you need to know, though, is that, like I said, in 2012, during Obama's presidency, he instituted this policy as a way to um, help out illegal immigrants or the children of illegal immigrants and who are illegal immigrants themselves coming, who were coming into this country. Now, there is no judgment, at least on my part, for this. I think this is a really fantastic program that... Um, allows people a path to stay here. Again, it's not a path to citizenship. It's just a way to, to continue to stay here and get like a work permit, for example. But uh, President Trump and his people did not agree, shocker. And so in 2017, I think if you remember a few years ago, this was really popular. He, he and his administration wanted to phase it out. Um, so fortunately for many of the people who um, do use the DACA program, um, President Trump was not able to actually do much with this. He was not able to find 
anything unconstitutional with it. And so it really stayed in place with a few extra restrictions added on. So Biden's plan is that he wants to expand on this and he wants to create a path to citizenship, much like what the DREAM Act does. Um, so that is that is something that won't be an executive order. It's going to be something that he's going to have to work towards in his first 100 days. But it is something that he has said time and time again that this is something that he sees for this country and something that he would really like for um, people in the DACA program to be able to do, become citizens. Why this matters to you? Well, in case you didn't know, um, this country was built on immigrants. I mean, none of us, unless they, we are, you were considered an indigenous person of this country, otherwise commonly known as Native American, though um, I do prefer the term indigenous people when referring to that population because they are the ones who were here first. Um, like I said, this is there. This country was built on immigrants and. The fact that this was threatened by um, Trump really, really um, bothered me to my core when this happened. Um, because, I mean, who who is he to say that, like, these people that are here um, already and on this program shouldn't be able to stay? It was, it just kind of very, felt very discriminatory. And, I mean, it was discriminatory. Especially since, too, I'm sorry, but President Trump... Former President Trump, again, I got to get used to saying that. Like, dude, you literally came from immigrants yourself. Like, you're not an indigenous person. Um, so I don't like the, that. That's the that's the whole struggle with this is just figuring out why. And not just President Trump and not again, not just Republicans, because there are a lot of Democrats who I'm sure feel this way, too. But why people are so against having people from different countries and populations come come and want to be a part of the United States. Um, a DACA program is a, is a very effective and legal way of doing this, and that path to citizenship is, um, is really important for that. Those of you might not know this, but depending on where you come from in the world, to, to apply legally takes an obnoxious amount of time. Now, this was definitely slowed down with the Trump administration, um, and I couldn't give you an exact number of how long on average it took for when Obama was president, for example, and previous presidents. But like I said, depending on where you're from, like they would slow down that process significantly. So you could be theoretically waiting, no exaggeration, years before your um, application was even reviewed. And if there was one thing wrong within that application, they basically told you um, that it got denied and you had to reapply all over again, wait another couple of years type of thing. So, of course, with everything that I've talked about with DACA, like the, those are the main things that you should know and why you should be concerned with it. Just to add something quickly, um, while I do personally believe that immigrants did build this country, I mean, we we are all <laughs> immigrants or descended from immigrants in some way, shape, or form. It's also worth noting um, and important, very important to note um, that this country was also built by slaves, which is a very sad reality, but a reality we need to face. Um, I think as a society, sometimes we forget that. So I definitely need, wanted to to mention that and put that in there. Um, and something that, in case if you weren't aware of, now now you can say that you are aware of it. 
Now let's talk about oil and gas. This is something that I don't think is going to be in the mainstream media so much just because we do have so many other things going on. Um, but this connects, in my opinion, directly to the Paris Climate Accord, which is why I want to bring it up again. Now, um, before I launch into oil and gas, let me quickly touch upon something in the Paris Climate Accord that I wasn't able to talk about in the first episode. Within this Paris Climate Accord, and if you're confused at what I'm talking about, I highly recommend checking back on my first episode to hear some of what I had to say about that. But um, the accord basically gave countries that signed it, which again, there was so many, almost every country in the world signed this accord, um, gave them specific deadlines of when they needed to be start making advances towards um, a greener economy for themselves and potentially, if they're in a place, helping helping out other countries do the same. So basically, there was five-year intervals of when this needs to get done, and it's within a 30-year span. So basically, there's six benchmarks, right, if you were to divide it evenly. Um, each benchmark that a country hits, it things need to be getting progressively better um, in terms of green energy and um, overall taking care of the the environment. Really, um, I mean the, the the Paris Climate Accord is very much focused on like the clean energy, but by having that green clean, I can't even say that green clean energy. Um, the environment will be helped in like kind of like a an offshoot of that. So that's why this is so important. But um, each country has its own set of deadlines and has its own checklists, we'll call them checklists for themselves that they have to reach within each five-year period. Um, and the reason for that is because we can't expect countries um, to all be doing the same thing if their economies aren't all at the same level. So, for example, let's say a country like, uh, let's, let's say, let's go with Germany, has more money and means in order to be able to afford some of those conversions to, to, to not really using fossil fuels and going towards green energy. In comparison, a country like Thailand um, might not have that, those same um, capabilities for them, that like may not have the same resources um, and even leadership to help them do what Germany could. So in those circumstances, countries are basically being asked to work within their own means. And I think that's really fantastic because it really incentivizes countries to sign on to this agreement because there's less pressure of trying to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak, and trying to keep up with countries like Great Britain and the United States and um, even Russia, for that matter, who do have the means to, to be able to afford some of these greener practices. So now going back to oil and gas, um, a way that the President Biden can actually start like helping and working towards the um, accord agreement once he gets us back into that, which at this point of me recording has already happened, which is I'm so excited about, um, is to put more restrictions on big oil and gas. Basically what happened during Trump's presidency, since he does have those ties to those big companies, um, he, he listed a lot of restrictions on them in terms of, um, like being able to drill in places that they've never been able to drill before. 
So like things along those lines and giving them tax cuts. So what Biden is basically doing is just reversing that. Um, and there is the potential there for him and his vice president, um, our lovely Kamala, to to really start pushing back on the big oil companies. And for those of you who are unaware, uh, big oil has such a hold on like U.S. Um, politics in general because they tend to donate money to politicians in their campaigns in order for like, it's kind of like a quid pro quo. Like I give you money, you make sure that legislation doesn't get passed so that um, that negatively impacts me and my company and my industry. So a lot of the times you see politicians not really taking a stance on big oil or fighting for them because of those ties that they had when those donations were made in the first place. There's also lobbyists that come into play here. And for those of you who don't know what a lobbyist is, they're basically hired by companies, whether those companies are like big oil or um, tobacco or something like that. Um, And they are the ones who are supposed to like sway politicians to vote a certain way on legislation. So again, um, I'll talk about that in the future for sure, because it's very complicated when it comes to outside players influencing the government in ways that they really shouldn't, but do. Um, But that is why it's so important that you see Biden starting to to put those regulations back into place and to push back a little bit. So again, it's going to help our environment. It's going to protect the natural scenery that we already have and what makes this country so beautiful. And it could help us to reach our goals that are going to be in the Paris Climate Accord. And of course, like we should we should care about this because we're going to be on this earth for for a long time. Um, might might feel like it's a marathon because it definitely is, but the years are going to fly so quickly. And hopefully, we're not going to get to a point where there is no turning back. And I I think that is coming sooner than all of us realize, including myself. I'm not a scientist. I don't do numbers, but from what I understand, we are we are very close to reaching that point of no return. So having this Paris Climate Accord back on the agenda of the uh, White House administration, aka Biden and his boys and fabulous ladies, in addition to those uh, regulations being um, put back on this big oil and gas, it's just really, it's great all around for us. Moving on to another um, executive order, which might not be through by the time you hear this, but it's something that is definitely coming. Taxes. Now, I know taxes are not interesting. Actually, I'll take that back. Maybe you do find taxes and finances interesting, but I, for one, do not. Um, But it's worth pointing out because um, I just saw so many jokes flying of like Biden's tax plan, like who it affects. So to put a Put, put some base information in right now. Biden only plans on raising taxes for those who are making more than $400,000 a year. In other words, um, if you drive a 2010 Honda Accord, or um, you have popcorn ceilings in your house, or you can only afford, like me, to shop at Marshall's and TJ's, TJ Maxx, you do not have to worry about this tax plan. <laughs> and um honestly like especially our generations like very few of us are going to be making that much money anyways maybe our parents if you're particularly lucky 
are making that much money combined. Um, but yeah, it really doesn't affect us um, in that respect. But where it is going to affect us is with um, the the breaks that we might be getting. So it is worth noting that under President Trump, he did give he gave a lot of tax cuts, right? He gave them to like big corporations and his really rich friends. But he did also give some tax cuts to middle class people and that people really did appreciate that. And you might be thinking if you're a Trump fan that you're very proud of this fact. But you, what you might not know about that is that he, he purposely made those terms um, while he was in office for those tax cuts to be um, the way that they were because he planned on having them expire in 2021. And the reason why he did this is because, I mean, obviously he, he couldn't really fathom a circumstance where he would lose the election. But if he did, it would make it so that those tax breaks would be gone when he was leaving office. And as from what from what I could tell researching, those tax cuts would only be lifted for like middle class, like average Americans, not for corporations. Um, he because he wanted and of course, I'm sure he would have probably extended it if he'd been in office because he doesn't want his supporters mad at him or Americans mad at him, though he is extremely good at that. Um, but that, that is, that is what, that is what was shady about that. Um, so Biden's new tax plan, um, basically again, that 400,000 threshold mark, he's also going to be raising taxes on corporations and big companies that got the break under Trump. And that's going to be by about like 8%. So why do we care? Well, some great news with that. If Biden can make up the, some some of that money that um, maybe wouldn't be coming from lower to middle class families and get that from corporations, that then means that he doesn't need to raise uh, the taxes on us um, by a lot, if really at all. Like under this tax plan, let's say it's in place for like 10 years, not touched. Um, on average, Americans are going to see, I think it's like one to 2% back in their own pockets. Um, so it, it helps them over time because if the government can get that money that they need um, through taxes, through another avenue like big corporations, then they don't need to to be taxing those middle class um, working Americans and lower class Americans as well. Um, and by that, I'm talking about like people in tax brackets. Um, I hate the term like lower class. I think it it, it has such a negative connotation. So when I'm saying that, it, it strictly means like in terms of tax brackets. Um, I mean, I'm definitely considered lower class from what I earn. Uh, <laughs> just sad, sad truth of being a college grad in an, an, an entry level position. Um, but yeah, I think it, it overall it's going, it might not seem like it at first, but it's going to help a lot of Americans get more money back into their pockets. Moving forward, um, something that I talked about in my original podcast episode was Biden's executive order on masks. And at the time that I um, recorded that, it only extended to, like I said in the episode, federal buildings um, and for people traveling over state lines on public transportation. But now Biden has extended that to 
all airports, which um, makes sense to me for sure. And um, it is looking like transportation as well in general. So I'm sure if you're driving a car, you're not going to need to wear your mask in that. Don't worry about that. Like if you're riding like the T or um, again, like, like a bus, then you're going to have to wear a mask. And I think the reason for this, if you want to really dig into it, is we've seen like with COVID and I will be touching COVID very soon because there's a lot of news with that in the Biden administration, um, how quickly it spreads. And so if you start putting masks on people who are like taking transportation, especially public transportation at that, it it can really help stop new cases from popping up because we know our hospitals are overwhelmed right now and our nurses and doctors um, and all honestly frontline people in general, not just in the medical field, are working working themselves to the bone. And they've been doing this, unfortunately, for almost a year now like that. That is enough to burn anyone out times three. And I have so much respect for all of them. So the way I see this, I mean, it might be an added inconvenience to, um, depending on what state you're from, to have to now wear masks in these places that you might not have before. I know like in Massachusetts, these were always in place. So again, if you're from a state like Mass, like your life isn't that different than um, before this executive order was in place, but it really helps us all. And like, I think at the end of the day, I definitely want this virus to be over ASAP. Like I'm sure you do too. And it's worth putting up with, with inconveniences like these in order to see that happen. And I don't know about you all, but I definitely don't even care anymore. Like how inconvenient those inconveniences are. Like I would literally do anything if they asked me to put on a hazmat suit before leaving my house to stop the spread of COVID, I would 100% do that. Like, I just want this to be over. I want to stop seeing people die. And um, I want to also stop seeing people being hospitalized and being on ventilators and for something that can be avoidable with wearing a mask. Um, so I think, again, I think this is really great for all of us. And um, kudos to Biden for for extending that um, as far as he can within his own power. And speaking of health and COVID, um, I'm now going to be talking about the World Health Organization and what Biden has done with that, and also what the COVID situation is looking like for the White House. So first and foremost, for those of you who don't know, um, President Trump made the executive decision <laughs> Um, not too long ago, to pull us out of the World Health Organization. The World Health Organization, or you might have seen it uh, pronounced as WHO, because the acronym is WHO, just um, just so you know if I refer to it as WHO in the future. Um, he pulled us out of that because he didn't like um, the restrictions that they were recommending to countries to help com combat COVID. Because again, pre um, President Trump just didn't really believe in COVID. He still really doesn't. I mean, even on his last day out of office, like he never wore a mask and he, I don't think I've ever seen him in a mask. Um, if you have, feel free to send that to me because that is something that again, I've never seen. But yeah, I think by this point, Biden has already gotten us back in that. And what that means for us is 
I mean, the World Health Organization can only, it can't really do much as a body itself. Like, it's not, it can't enforce anything, but again, it can give help and um, give countries kind of like a plan on how to combat COVID. Um, and also, it, it give resources to should those countries need it. Now, even though the United States is like the one of the worst places in the world with the amount of COVID cases that we have, um, we likely won't be seeing those like personal resources from who, just because there are other countries who um, do need those resources more than us who may not have as much money um, set aside for things like this. And even as I say that, I, I almost want to start to laugh to myself because um makes me question if we even have resources and money to be able to combat COVID. Um, and I think I think we do. I know Biden definitely has a plan for it. So that's great. Um, but yeah, I think who just getting us involved back with who just reestablishes that connection between the two of us. And not even with COVID, but like down the line, like it's it's important to have them in our back pocket, so to speak. So they're there to help. Because, I mean, looking back and reflecting, there are so many diseases that could have been like COVID-19, but weren't. I'm talking about like swine flu, for those of you who remember that. Um, Ebola, Zika virus. Like, we're so lucky those did not turn into like a pandemic. And they were just like, in specific parts of the world. And that's where like the World Health Organization helped with that. So as much as we don't want to think down the line, we could have another pandemic. It's possible. It's very possible. And having the World Health Organization being able to help with that and like having that connection with them is really great for when or if something like that can happen again in our lifetime and for future generations as well. But with COVID, um, I believe it was honestly on Thursday. So basically Trump's like first full day not being president and Biden's first day like in office. Um, Biden had a press um, announcement that he made and it basically was that they were not even prepared for how terrible um, the Trump administration handled COVID. Like basically Trump did not work with Biden at all. Usually when a president is knows that he's going to be leaving office and a new one will be taking his place. Um, they work, those two administrations work together because they need to be, Biden's team need to be caught up to speed on everything that had been going on, top secret stuff, things that he should know um, so that he can hit, hit the ground running and he doesn't need to waste time those first um, weeks that he's in office, like learning everything. But of course, Trump and his team did not cooperate at all. Um, I think Biden did get some help in the end and was able to view some things, but wasn't nearly as much as it should have been. Um, so that's that is why, like when when Biden in this press announcement basically said, like, "Hey, hate to let you guys know this, but it is so much worse than we ever could have possibly imagined." Um, and this this is where the the bad part comes in, and the frustrating part for me. Because, um, well, I'll just get, I'll just get into it, and then I will, I will explain later. So, basically, during Obama's administration, his years, again, he had a lot of like potential pandemics pop up, like swine flu, Zika, Ebola. Like I would think those are the the three main ones I can think of. Um, 
So he and his team really spent a lot of time creating a pandemic plan for the United States should something happen. And um, it did end up happening. Like we're, we're in a pandemic right now. So when Trump entered office, he literally had a step-by-step plan for the United States he could have used from the Obama administration um, that could have prevented a lot of this. I'm not saying it could have 100% prevented it. We probably would have saw, or excuse me, would have seen COVID in this country at some point, but it wouldn't have been this bad at all. And basically what Trump did was either to do with um, like party bias or, and again, not believing in the virus, like gave Obama, his administration and that plan they made the middle finger, essentially. He's like, I'm not even going to look at this. And the extra frustrating thing about this is that the pan- it wasn't like that plan was outdated. Like it literally was as fresh as it could have been because it came from the last administration and was done in Obama's last few years in office. It literally could not have been more fresh if it if it tried. <laughs> like it that that is that is what kills me because everything was outlined and everything was up to date and all Trump had to do was follow it. But again, he didn't see the pandemic as a big deal. So basically, and of course, Biden knew about this plan because um, as Obama's vice president, he would have been aware of some of these things and protocols that would be put in place. Um, So again, it wasn't like Biden um, was unaware that Trump was ignoring the plan because he clearly was. He wasn't doing anything for people in this country and keeping us safe and closing our borders when they needed to be for incoming flights and from other countries and things like that. But um, yeah, they, again, they, they knew nothing. The Trump administration didn't tell them anything. And they just thought that it was because they wanted to be, um, extra petty on the way out, but it's genuinely because they had nothing. Like Trump was making all these plans and promises. If you remember about like fighting the virus and like having those numbers go down and it's going to get better very soon with things he would say, but he just straight up wasn't doing anything like at all. And it really came down to states and like their own government and like the heads of those states, like governors, to come up with plans for their, for their own home states to do. So the 50 states were really just, they're all on their own. Like they're all having their own plan. Um, there's no unity there. And I think the biggest slap in the face of all of this is how much this could have been avoided if that plan was used. So of course... I mean, Biden has Fauci. He has um, Dr. Rachel Levine, which I who I talked about in my last episode. If you don't know anything about her, she is insanely cool. Look her up or check out my last episode. Um, but he's still kind of starting from scratch. Like him and his team need to like come up with a lot of stuff. And the 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 slap in the face I was talking about that I feel personally is there are so many things that this pandemic has taken from me. And I know for, for all, all of you, you, f- you feel the same way. Like I missed out on graduations. I missed out on holidays. I missed out on being able to spend time with family and um, supposed to be enjoying one of the most exciting years of my life personally. And knowing that this all, most of it could have been avoided um, really makes me mad. And what makes me the most mad out of everything has to do with how many people have perished because of this. 
We have now hit a point in this country where over 400,000 people have died. That is more than the United States lost in um, World War II, years in World War II. And to put that into perspective as well, um, only, I shouldn't say only, and not only, um, 3,000 people around there died in 9-11. Think about how terrible of of an event that was. 400,000 Americans have died because of COVID. And and again, it could have been, it could have been prevented in some capacity. I mean, COVID is a very scary disease. There's no denying that. Um, But it it isn't something where um, it's not still treatable in some ways. Like you can do things to help alleviate COVID when you're going through it. Granted, of course, there are some high risk um, individuals that would be struggling on COVID, but for the most part, like for some really lucky people, they can just treat it like a cold and it doesn't affect them that much. Um, but for the high risk people who, who lost their lives because they got sick because our government wasn't doing enough, it's just really upsetting to know that. Um, and I, it's why I, regardless of what you, what party you affiliate, you're affiliated with or what you believe in, you should be rooting for the Biden administration to be getting this right and to nail it because we could theoretically see a world where um, we we could be living a normal life maybe a year from now or close to a normal life. And I think that's what we all want in the end. Um, so I'm sure more COVID updates are going to come out, but um, it's def- like I definitely wanted to let you, let you all know if you haven't heard it yet, unfortunately, that um, nothing was really being done with the Trump administration with COVID. And Biden and his team are really basically sprinting a marathon right now to order to catch up um, so that they can start giving out vaccines faster and start, stop the spread as much as they can to alleviate pressure that's on the hospitals right now and nurses and doctors and whatnot. Before I move into talking about Congress, um, I'm just going to give you some rapid fire executive order business that I saw that um, you don't really need to, in my opinion, dig really deep on just because they're um, they're pretty much the they're pretty much set in set in stone and they're kind of more straightforward. So, for example, um, Biden has put a freeze on all eviction and foreclosure notice um, notices during the pandemic so that families don't have to worry about um, if they've lost their job because of um, COVID, that they're going to be evicted or have their houses foreclosed on. Um, in addition to that, similarly, there was a f- the federal student loan pause is going to remain in place. Um, and I'm guessing because it is Biden, um, we're likely going to see that until the pandemic is over or close to being over, which for those who are grads or will soon be grads, this is really great news for us. Um, the border wall, remember that from like 15 million years ago um, that Trump started building along Mexico? Um, that is officially being stopped. It's no longer being built and will likely be torn down, which is really great. Um, and also there's talks about another stimulus for $2,000 to be sent out, um, which we can, we'll probably be talked about in future, um, podcast episodes, but yeah, those are the rapid fire things you need to know. Um, and feel free to look into more of those on your own. 
But again, I think those are kind of more straightforward and don't really need a deep analysis. Basically, what Congress has been doing right now is just kind of like settling into a new term. Term um, Terms last about um, two years. And the reason why they last every two years is because that's how long a member of the House um, can serve before they need to go through um, the election process again. So right now, we are on our 117th Congress. Congress right now basically um, is doing a lot because especially with Biden now as the new president, but first and foremost, they are swearing in and confirming a lot of the federally appointed positions uh, that Biden has. So for example, people on Biden's cabinet need to be approved by the Senate. I mean, Biden can really pick whoever he wants, but the Senate has final say of whether or not they're approved. So Congress has been doing a lot with that. And of course, the impeachment, the date has been set for the beginning of February. So they're going to be, the Senate in particular is going to be working hard on that and focusing on that. In general, what you need to know with Congress right now is, um, is different for whether uh, there is a new member of Congress versus like an older member of Congress who has been, who served at least one term before in their respective position. A new member of Congress, like um, somebody like one of the guys down in Georgia, like John Ossoff, for example, who is now going to be a senator there in that runoff election, which you might have heard about, basically are going to be spending this time learning the ropes and the norms. It is not common for somebody in their first term to be coming out the gate, guns blazing, passing legislation, talking on the floor, and getting into like debates and stuff. That's not very common. The first term is really marked by just learning everything in procedures and whatnot. Um, and it's also kind of frowned upon. It's like a, it's like a, a stereotype or a norm of um, either the House or the Senate where you let the more seasoned people like take the time to pass legislation and talk on the floor. That being said, they can still do this. And like there, um, there are circumstances where it's okay. Like it's called their maiden speech when either a member of the house or the Senate speaks for the very first time in each body. Um, and they're actually, they do set aside specific time for somebody to do, to do this. Cause it's like a rite of passage, but um, it's not common for somebody who like AOC who who came in fresh out the gate and was was pushing back and passing legislation and being outspoken. So that's what the newbies are doing right now. The veterans or the people who have been in there for a little while, those are the ones who you're going to see trying to um, formulate legislation right now to be passed. Um, those are the ones that you're going to have to, to really focus on if you want to see things um, getting done and getting um, onto community committees. And I, of course, I'm going to go over in detail how that works and how legislation passes through committees and how it even makes its way for a debate on a floor and voted on and whatnot. But um, I think that, for the most part, that is all you need to know about Congress. And you should care about it just because if you want to understand why things happen in D.C. politics and um, our government the way they do, you unfortunately um, have to know how Congress works, as as boring or <laughs> confusing as that might be. 
And I can, I'm very help, hopeful that I can help you through that process and make it very easy to manage. Um, and to prove that it's not always boring, I'm going to share a story that I heard from Congress this week. So the newly elected Senate Majority Leader, Chuck Schumer, um, was talking about the impeachment because at the time they were setting a day for the trial. And he is he is in, in the middle of this passionate, serious speech. And instead of calling the domestic terrorist attack on the Capitol an insurrection, this man called it an erection. <laughs> an erection on the Capitol is actually what he said. And he, he, of course, corrected himself. But, like, the face he made after he said it was priceless. I recommend looking it up. Um, and he, cause he was just like, he, you can even tell he was like, where did that come from? Why did that leave my mouth? Oh my God. I, I cannot believe that just happened. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm sure we're going to hear a lot of stories like that, that I'm going to throw in when I am talking about Congress. Um, so again, definitely worth paying attention to, um, and keeping up with as I do the, the, the series. Okay, we are officially at the end of my first mini-sode. Um, thank you so much again. You're going to hear me say this a lot, but I have so much uh, appreciation for the people who are listening to this and taking a chance on me and this podcast, whether you know me or not. So thank you so much again for, for spending the time and listening. Uh, some few final things. I am planning on coming up with a fun name for this at some point, which is really cool. Um, but I didn't want to rush rush the um, creative process, we'll call it. So um, I have decided to just refer to them as mini-sodes for now. And hopefully um, I'll get struck with some inspiration and be able to introduce them as in, like an official with an official name um, from branching off from, of course, the main episodes that I have. Um, so definitely be on the lookout for that. Um, if you feel like you want to share something with me um, or have questions or comments or um, anything of that nature, feel free to send me an email at in the aisle podcast one at gmail.com. And I'm so excited to start looking at those as they come in. And again, remember, there's no question that is too dumb. I feel like whenever I hear somebody tell me that, I'm like, okay, sure. Um, I'm still going to feel like an idiot for asking, but it's true. There really are no questions that are too stupid or too big or too small. Um, If you have them for me, I would happily be able to answer those for you. And just to echo something I said at the end of uh, the first episode I posted, these in general are going to be shorter. There is just so much that has been going on, like like even more, the, probably the most I've, I've ever seen really in my life when it comes to politics because our world that we're living in is crazy right now. So I'm hoping as things settle down, these will get shorter and more manageable to listen to, which at the end of the day is what I want for you guys. I'm sure that is also what you would like to um, to hear. So for sure, um, just keep that in mind because I know I don't want you to feel like this is a, a big investment to be listening to these each week. But 
Um, definitely still worth your time for sure. Um, feel free as well to follow this on Spotify or like it on whatever platform it is you're listening to it on. Feel free to also share with friends if you think that any of them might be interested in this as well. Um, I would love to get um, as many people listening to this and commenting and letting me know their thoughts because it can help it can help build this podcast and lead to, to better debate and more analysis from me on my end. Again, um, I just I can't thank you all enough from the bottom of my heart. I really hope that you have a great week and I cannot wait for you to meet me in the aisle again. I've been your host, Christina, and um, until next time, I'll see you later.